0: We are, we are going to finish something. <laughs> Can you believe it? We, we have reached the end of the book of Hebrews. And uh, so we are going to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25. And I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible Underneath verse twenty-five is blank space. (laughs) All right, let's let's read these words. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again the You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it be equipped with everything good in order to do his will. Well, what we began in January, I wasn't even here in January, what you guys and I joined in, you know, it's been seven months, is that right? It was the end of July, beginning of August, we'll we'll count it seven months. Um, We've we've finally come to a close, right? Um, We've reached the end of this amazing and challenging letter known to us as the book of Hebrews. And yet it's more than just a letter, isn't it? For it reads like a sermon, and and a powerful sermon at that. A sermon whose central message is Jesus is better. I I hope you got that. If you you didn't get anything else from all this, I hope you got that Jesus is better. Because he is better. And if you recall, this is how our author started out. He was demonstrating that, that Jesus is a better revelation of our Father in heaven than, than the revelation that came through the prophets of old. This is what it, he said in the first four verses. Look, look at what it says, Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. No, we're not starting over. <laughs> but look, look, at, look at what it says. purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And yes, what we just read at the end, we saw that this Jesus truly is far better than the angels. And why? Because he is God incarnate. The the one through whom all things were created. The, The one who will bring all things into submission to himself. But not only is he better than the angels, but he is also far better than Moses. The man who obeyed God's voice. The voice that came from that flaming bush high up on that mountain. The man who was able to lead a people out of a land of slavery and into freedom. Yes, Jesus is better than that man. And we also saw that that Jesus is a far better high priest than, than the high priest that came out of the priesthood of Aaron. For, for Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And as this better priest, we, we, we see that Jesus brings to us a far better ministry. For he delivers... A far better covenant. And thus he serves in a far better tabernacle. A tabernacle that is above. And it is in this better tabernacle that that, that he brings a far better sacrifice. A sacrifice that can actually cleanse the conscience. For it is an eternal sacrifice that is once for all. And yet our author, he, he, he doesn't just tell us these things, he doesn't, doesn't just tell us that Jesus is far better for no reason. Rather, he does so to both warn us and to embolden us. He, he warns us not to neglect the great salvation that has come our way, lest we, lest we drift away and, and reject this far better Jesus, and as a result, become eternally lost lest we become like Esau, having no chance of repentance. And and he emboldens us as well by by challenging us to persevere in our faith, to hold strong during those difficult times as we follow this far better Jesus, as we run the race that is the Christian life, a race that can only, only be run as we live by faith. And yet when we do this, when we, when we live by faith, we, we, we find ourselves upon a mountain, upon the mountain of God, upon Mount Zion, that unshakable kingdom. And this, my friends, is of utmost importance, because what does our author warn us? That, that, that a judgment is coming. A a shaking that will tremble the nations and cause cause all those who, who have turned their backs on Christ to be utterly ruined. For our God is a consuming fire. And that is why our author then encourages us to continue in brotherly love by showing hospitality to one another, by ministering to those who are suffering for the gospel, and, and we are not to give in to the temptations of this world. We are to keep the marriage bed undefiled. We are to be content in what God has given to us in this life. And in all things, we are to submit ourselves to the authority of this gospel message. Because there is no other message for which man can be saved. And all this leads us to today, and this final farewell from our author of this book of Hebrews. Verses in which our author gives to his readers, which which demonstrate both a request for prayer, as well as a blessing from God above. And so let's look at this passage. Let's look at these final words in this book of Hebrews, beginning with verses 18 and 19. Here we see a request from our author. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. It's not until the end of this letter that do we begin to understand just how close of a relationship that this author had with this church. This man, he wanted to be restored to them as soon as possible. In other words, he he desired to be among them once again. Now, whether this means he was a member of that church or or whether he was a traveling missionary or maybe an apostle that had visited this church in the past, we we can't be certain. Yet what we do know is that this church was very, very near to this man's heart. And yet for some reason he had been prevented from visiting. Now, why would this be? What what would prevent this man from from coming to this church? The answer comes to us from the clues in in these very verses. And the first thing we see is is that this author, he was not alone. Right? He, he's asking for prayers in the plural. Pray for us. And so wherever he was, there were other believers with him. Second, he he made the made a case for the integrities of this us. Right? He, he said, We are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. In other words, there there had been some sort of accusation, some sort of slander against the character of not only this author, but of those who were with him as well. And yet our author, as well as his companions, they had been faithful to Jesus Christ. And in God's eyes, these these accusations, they held no merit. Third, we, we, we see the urgency for which our author needs this prayer, right? He he was asking this church to pray immediately for for this, whatever it was. This seemed to be a time-sensitive matter. And then lastly, we see that he had the the desire to be restored to the congregation, as if returning to this church was, was, was not within his control. In other words, he was being restrained from doing so. And so when you add this all up, implied in these words is, is, is the fact that our author, along with these others who were with him, had been imprisoned for the gospel. They, they were suffering for Christ's sake. And now they were seeking the prayers of this church. Throughout this letter, we, we have talked much about the theology Concerning Jesus Christ. How Jesus is better, right? I think I think I've hammered that down, right? And, and we talked much about, about demonstrating brotherly love for one another, how how we are to look after one another in our times of need. And we talked much about how how we need to be strong in the faith. We we need to stand firm. We we are to have a bold witness for Jesus even in the midst of persecution. But what we have not talked about is prayer and our need for it. This author of ours, he was in the midst of it, was he not? God had allowed this man to suffer for his name. And yet this author, author knew that, that he couldn't face such trials in his own strength. That he needed God's help. But more than that, he, he knew that this church whom he loved was under duress. That there were those who were defecting. And that the morale of, of all the others were was waning. And that's why he desired his release. So that he could once again be restored to them. So that he could once again strengthen them. When I served as a missionary in Thailand, one of the hardest things that we had to go through as a family were were the times where we had to go away, away from our church family there. You see, our our mission agency, what they did, they, they required us every two years that we were on the mission field, we would then have to spend six months back in the States and uh, part of that was because during that time, we would have to once again raise funds, right, um, to make up for different missionary partners that we had lost along the way. And, and yet being away was was difficult because, you know, our, our heart was in Thailand. And we, the churches in Thailand, they were young, they were struggling, and, and they needed to to be encouraged. And, and so we would ask the church in Thailand to pray for us when we went away so that we could be restored to them, right? To, to pray that our time in the, in the States might go well and so that we could return. Here, here's the deal. What, what we find in these two verses is this principle of praying for the church, Right? We are to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are God's servants, that it might go well with them so that they will be freed up to serve the body of Christ in their time of need. We we are to pray for them in their struggles, that God would be with them, that God would strengthen them. We we, we are to pray because because we know that only through God's power can his church flourish? Let me ask you: How how often do you pray? How, how often do you take time out of your day to to get alone with God and to communicate with Him the the, the needs of the church? Do you do you go to that solitary spot in order to lift your voice? Do you cry out to the to the only one who can really do anything about about your troubles and about the troubles of those whom you love, about those who are dear to you? Listen, as God's people, we need to pray, because if if we don't, it, it means that we're relying on ourselves, on our own abilities. And let me tell you, that, that that is not a plan for kingdom success. God is the one who will build his kingdom. And that's why we need to be seeking him. But it's not just praying when you are alone, is it? For, for when you do pray, do you even know what to pray for? This is where we see the value of corporate prayer. Those times when we gather together to pray for one another. When when, when God's people share their burdens and, and cry out to God as if in one voice. Again, let, let me ask you do, you, do you set aside time to, to gather with other believers in order to pray together? In order to pray for one another? It's very, very vital as a church that we are united in prayer as well. Well, not, not only does our author covet the prayers of this church, but he then leads an example as he now prays for these people. This is what we see in, the, in our following two verses. Look at verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace Those are good words, are they not? Let let me repeat that to you. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Amen. This benediction, this blessing, is is our author's way of lifting up this church to God that they might be blessed. And in this benediction, we are given an example of how how we ought to pray. For for it shows us both a reliance upon God as well as, as a desire for God's will to be done. And in reality, this, this prayer, it's nothing more than a sweet little summary of what this letter to the Hebrews was all about. Let, let, let me break this down for you. Let's, let's see how this is so. And the first thing that we see is the title that our author uses to describe the one to whom he's praying, right? He says, Now may the God of peace, The God of peace. This is a statement of encouragement. This is a statement of confidence. It it is communicating to this church that that the God that they serve has their best interest in mind. Think, Think of the angels that appeared to the shepherds the night that Jesus was born. What, what were the words that, that came from their mouths as, as those who were tending the flocks heard? What, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This peace that, that, that Jesus brought with him when he became a man, is the reconciling peace between God and those who are created in his image. Because of our sin, we have declared a war upon God. And yet God, he ends this war through the saving work of his son. And what did Christ do to bring this peace about? He died for our sins, right? When he went to the cross, he he took upon himself the punishment that we deserve in order that we can have that peace with God. And so what our author is praying in this passage is the gospel, right? It is the good news that, that, that the war has ended because our God is a God of peace, and he has granted that peace to us through his son Jesus Christ but not just peace but eternal life look look at the next part of this prayer who brought again from the dead our lord Jesus i mean here we see another essential part of the gospel message do we not an essential belief for all those who who call themselves Christians. We must confess the risen Savior. In fact, without the resurrection, there, there is no Christian faith. For if Jesus had stayed in that tomb, then there would be no victory. And yet the tomb is empty. And because it is empty, we who have saving faith, we who believe in this Jesus, we will one day rise from the dead as well. This is what Paul tells us in in his book to the Corinthians, right? He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But Christ doesn't just rescue us to no end but he then leads us. For the next title that we see is that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. One can't help but to think of that great psalm of King David when when they hear the words great shepherd. Am I right? Psalm 23 look at look at verses one through four the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod, And your staff, they comfort me. I can only imagine that for a church that was under duress, that that these words would bring them comfort. For no matter how difficult their path had grown, they would would know that, that, that Jesus Christ, their great shepherd, was right there beside them. He is their guide. He he is their sustainer. He is their protector. And he is their comforter. And he leads them through each and every step that they take. But there's more. For what do we see next? By the blood of the eternal covenant. We are now getting close to, to the supplication of this prayer, the, the, the portion where our author will bring his appeal before God. But before we're quite there, he, he speaks first of the, of the means that God will use to answer his request. And the means is by the blood of the eternal covenant. Again, we see this distinction between the old and the new, right? Between that, that, that covenant of works and the covenant of grace. For, for under the old covenant, the, the work was never finished. Am I right? Because the sins of the people never stopped. And so there had to be this continual offering. And even then, the, the, the blood of these animals, they, they really couldn't atone for their sins. We read this earlier in Hebrews. Look at, look at Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified listen it is only through the blood of jesus the blood of this eternal covenant that that is once for all that god's people are justified that they are forgiven This means that there is no more need for another sacrifice. The blood of Jesus is enough. And we see as well that that it does more than just cover over our sins. For it is a sanctifying blood, creating a pure heart within those who truly believe. And this is the means that God will use to answer the request of our author. Look at, look at our author's supplication. Look at, the, look at his request for this church. That God may equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Here's the thing. We, we aren't saved in order that we can go about doing our own will. We are saved so that we can be about the will of God. But, it, but in doing God's will, it, it, it's not something that that we are capable of in our own strength. And this is why we need God's help. This is why we need his Holy Spirit. This, this one who can equip us and strengthen us. This is why our author prays for this church, that God will equip them. Look at, just to show an example of this, look at at the book of Acts, chapter 1, look at verses 4 through 8. Jesus had just been raised from the dead, and he is now giving his farewell to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. This is what he says. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the the reason that Jesus did did not want his disciples to depart from Jerusalem, was because he was going to empower them with his Holy Spirit. He desired that they would be equipped to do God's will. Without the Holy Spirit, we are powerless. We need him in our life. But not just the Holy Spirit, but but God also uses his holy word. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we see that it's it's both through the Spirit of God and through His written Word that God equips His saints. And so what is our author praying for? That, That this church would not only be filled by the Spirit of God, but also that they would know God's Word well. So that they might be doing the will of God in this world. And this speaks to our next phrase that our author prays. For our author knows that that all good deeds do not have their origins in the will of men. He he knows that doing the will of God requires a new heart. It, It requires the Holy Spirit changing us from within. And that's why he then prays these words. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Our author, he, he understands that, that it must be God who works in us in order to mold us into something beautiful, in, in order to shape us into something honorable, in order to form us into the image of his Son. Look, look at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What what the Apostle Paul is describing here is the process of our sanctification. Sanctification. How, how God cleanses a Christian throughout his life. And, and from, from our perspective, it, it, it seems like we are doing all the work, right? That we're lifting those heavy weights. But from God's perspective, and the reality of the situation is that it is him who is working in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so this is what our author prays for, that God would continue his sanctifying work in this church, that they might be pleasing in his sight. These these words are very reminiscent of the benediction that God instructed Aaron to give give to the people of Israel. Look look at Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you, And keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Dear friends, there is no greater comfort than to have the face of God smiling upon you. To be like that beloved son, to be like that blessed daughter. The, 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 to, to, to be the child of the one who created you. To know that your king's face lights up when you walk into the room. And that's just it. That's how God feels about you. About you who are in Christ. He, he sees you as he does his own son. You bring joy to his heart as you put your trust as you put your faith in him. And that's why our author prays for these people, that God would work in them that which is pleasing in his sight. For, For he desires that they would have the smile of God shining down upon them. Smiling upon them, even under duress, even through trials and tribulations. Of course, God is doing all these things through His Son, right? Look, look at how our author ends this prayer, ends this benediction. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Once again, we are reminded that Jesus Christ, our our Lord and Savior, is better. Am I right? That He is the glorious one. And even though He bore our shame upon that cross, He is now glorified with a glory that will not go away. In other words, He possesses a forever glory. Paul expresses the same thing in the book of Philippians. Look at at Philippians 2, verses 9 9 through 11. He says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And when you think about it, who deserves more glory than Jesus Christ? Absolutely no one. And that is why you will one day bend the knee. And that is why I will one day bend the knee. And that is why even the scoffers and the atheists will one day bend the knee. Because all glory belongs to him. So what does this all mean? Now, now that we've seen this prayer and all that it entails, how should we respond? To help us answer that question, let's put it back together. Let's read it one more time in it's full. What a beautiful, beautiful benediction for the people of God. And it should be a motivator for all of us to pray. To to pray for God's church. To pray for our brothers and sisters. To pray for God to move in the lives of each and every one of us. And it should motivate us to give Him glory. Because we know that all good things come from Him. And when you think about it, if it is truly God who is doing the work within this church, then there is no greater task that we should set our minds to than to pray. Let's listen to this quote from Corey Temboom. This is what she says. The, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world that, uh, of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for His almighty power, nothing is too small for His love. Now, if there was anyone who, who knew suffering, it was Corey Temboon. Who, who had survived a Nazi concentration camp, who, who lost her sister and her really her whole family to, that, to, the, to the Nazis. And yet her faith did not fail her, because her God did not fail her. The, this fall, we will beginning, be beginning a new series on the book of Acts. And often this book is called the the Acts of the Apostles. And we do see this throughout the book, right? We we see the apostles of Christ performing great deeds as God expands his kingdom. But but I wonder if a more fitting fitting name for this book would be appropriate. Instead of the Acts of the Apostles, perhaps we should entitle it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. For what we will see as we go through this book is is the mighty workings of the spirit of God as he rescue rescues souls from the clutches of sin, death and the devil. I mean let's be honest. It, it is really only when God's spirit works through these apostles that anything gets accomplished. And that'll be our story as well. If we want God's kingdom to expand here in Oxford, Michigan, then we need to begin to rely on the Holy Spirit. And the way we rely upon him is through prayer. For what prayer does is it is it communicates to God above both our need and our reliance upon his strength and not upon our own. But finally, our our author ends his letter with these final words. He says this. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you now what was brief to this author has taken us 7 months to enjoy right and that's because uh, the these words of his exhortation they're they're dense they're they're full of life and we see too that 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 prayer had already had an effect right timothy had been released from prison this is most likely the same timothy that was a disciple of the apostle paul And our author tells this church to greet the leaders and all the leaders and all the saints. In other words, he he wanted to make sure that everyone in the church would hear this letter read and gain encouragement from his words. And then he also shares greetings from the brothers and sisters from Italy. whom We don't know who they are, but they may have been the very ones that were sitting in prison with our author. And then last of all, he gives a final benediction, right? Grace be with all of you. And how fitting a word to end this letter to the Hebrews. Grace. I mean, after all, it has been grace that our author has been contending for throughout, is it not? That, that this church needed the grace of Jesus Christ and not the works of of that old covenant. And it is grace that we need today. We cannot rely on our own deeds. On our own abilities. We need Jesus Christ. This one who is better. This one who can forgive you of your sins. This one who, who, who pours out his grace. As, as he clings to his cross. So let us honor him now by grabbing hold of his grace, by grabbing hold of him. And as we're grabbing hold of him, let us pray for one another in order that that same grace might grab hold of each and every one of us. Let's bow our heads. Father, Father, We are so, so thankful for this letter. This letter that you have not only given to that church back then, but you've given it to us. We are thankful because it lifts high your son, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful because it it teaches us how to be strong. Strong in the faith, even when there are pressures all around us. When the world is battling against us. And so we ask of you that you would help us. Help us to rely on you more. That we would seek you out in prayer each and every day. That we would pray for one another. That we would intercede for a dying world. Lord, we we need your Holy Spirit. We need him if we we're going to be faithful, faithful prayer warriors. And so we ask that you would fill us. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.